um, really take you out of <laughs> that whole attitude of worship and sing a song for you. And I want you to identify who sang the song, okay? It should be really easy for most of you. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sparing me and everyone else <laughs> the rest of that. That's a long song. It's like it goes on and on and on and on and on. But most of us, um, <clears throat> most of us, as I look around, I think most of us grew up probably having some kind of uh, association with Mr. Rogers, right? We all know who he was. We all can identify with him. And uh, <clears throat> I think we can all probably identify with him as being kind of like the perfect neighbor. He was, uh, he was a good guy. He always spoke words of wisdom. He was kind. He was generous. He was, you know, really in touch with his neighbors. Um, and actually, you know what, in he died in 2003. It was a great loss to, uh, to the TV world. When he started in TV, in, in 1954, he started in TV. He was, uh, he was kind of behind the scenes at some TV station, right around the time when TV started to get big. And he identified that TV could really be kind of a, uh, a crappy influence on society. And he wanted to change that and make, make TV a positive influence. And so he created his show, and he got the backing of the U.S. Senate. He actually went to the... He started out with a, a $30 a show budget, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, you look at his set and you might think, yeah, $30 a show is about it. But he went to the U.S. Uh, he went to the US government and he got up before a commission and he was, he was pleading on behalf of, uh, of, of the public. And he's like, you know, we need more money for good quality broadcasting. And so at first they were like, no, we've seen your show. We're not really into that. But, but he was so influential. The words of wisdom that he had and his, uh, his, uh, his standards and his morals... Um, by the time he was done with them, they gave him, I think it was a $30 million budget for, for TV, which was pretty, pretty amazing. But in 2003, when he died, the U.S. Senate actually unanimously passed a resolution, Resolution 16, acknowledging Mr. Mr. Rogers and his contribution. And uh, the, be- the beginning of the, that, uh, that resolution goes something like this. Mr. Rogers... Um, through his spirituality and placid nature, was able to speak to the nation's children, allowing them to understand the important role that they play in their communities and as a part of their families, being good neighbors to their community and their families. More importantly, he didn't shy away from the difficult issues of life. He tackled them head-on, often speaking simple truths to deal with some of life's most difficult issues. And, and that's the Mr. Rogers that we, that we look to as kind of the epitome of a perfect neighbor. So, Mark, as Mark mentioned, we've been, uh, we've been working our way through a series on, <clears throat> on relationships. We started on Mother's Day, talking about mothers and our relationship with mothers. Uh, last week, he finished off kind of with uh, talking about fathers. And so I wanted to try and tie this in. And I thought, you know what, one, one of the things we missed was talking about neighbors and how we can be involved with our neighbors. And there's, there's a number of different passages in Scripture that speak to us on different levels about how we can relate to our neighbors, the people that live immediately next to us and with us, and the people that live uh, anywhere around the world that we might come into contact with or have influence over. Um, so, um, bef- but before I get started, let me, would you just pray with me? Lord, we thank you that your word is, uh, is life-giving. We thank you that it's full of wisdom and truth and that it can guide and direct our lives. And uh, we pray that as we look into your word today that our hearts and our minds and our attitudes and our spirits would be changed, become more like you, that we might become more of the neighbors that you want us to be to the people that live in our homes, that live next to us, that we work with, that we play with, and that, uh, that we might not even know around the world. And uh, we pray that as we do that, we become more of the followers that you want us to be and that your kingdom 
would, uh, would grow and become, uh, and the people around the world would come to know you better. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the first thing, um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, probably a pretty common, uh, pretty common passage for some of us. But it's a, it's a passage about um, the most, it's kind of subtitled, the most important commandments. So this, uh, <clears throat> this, this expert in religious law came up to Jesus, and it, it says he tested Jesus with a question. And you have to realize that a lot of us think, you know, you know the religious leaders were after Jesus, and they were trying to test him and trick him into, into, into something that, that would cause him to fumble, and they could point a finger at him. But this is actually a method that, uh, that was used back in the day um, to try and get... Uh, Scripture and the 613 laws of Scripture condensed down into something that could be practically taken away, that could be summed up in two or three short little sentences or, or uh, and, uh, ideas. And so this, this, uh, religious, this, uh, this religious leader came up to Jesus and asked him, um, what is, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. So I'm going to stop there with that, and I want to uh, do a little exercise with you. It's a a pop quiz. I'm going to do another one a little later on. Um, So I'm going to give you some names of famous TV characters, and you just yell out who their neighbors are. Okay? Some of them are pretty easy. Last night, they got seven out of eight right. See if you can beat it. Okay? So the first one, Dennis the Menace. Hello, Mr. Wilson. You got it. Here's the tough one. If you even recognize who these people are, Darren and Samantha Stevens. What? You guys got it. That's awesome. So Abner and Gladys Kravitz. That's right. Easy one. Jerry Seinfeld. Kramer. Laverne and Shirley. Wow. Good job. I thought more people would have that one. This should be pretty easy. The Flintstones. The Rubbles, Barney Rubble. All right, here's a trick question. The, uh, the Jeffersons, not Mark, Krista, Maddie, and Eden. The Jeffersons, before they, became, they had their own TV show. Archie Bunker, good job. Ricky and Lucy Ricardo. The Mertz, Fred and Ertho Mertz. And last one, this one's really easy. Mark, we got this one. Tim the Toolman Taylor. Wilson, Wilson. Howdy, neighbor. Good job. So, so obvious question, what do all of these people have in common? Neighbors. neighbors, right. They're what we commonly think of as neighbors. When we, think, when we talk about neighbors, they're the people that live next door, right? The people who we t- typically think of as neighbors. Most of us, when we, when we hear this passage in Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 10, easily relate uh, our neighbors to the people that live next door to us. Or maybe they live two doors down if we really open up our minds. Or maybe they live behind us or across the street. Those are our, our neighbors, right? Um, but, and it's not all that hard to tell who the, the TV neighbors were. We all know who lived right next door to, uh, to Tim the Toolman Taylor. But back, back in, in Jesus' time, there was actually a lot of debate about who a neighbor was. And so when this religious leader came up and asked Jesus later on who his neighbor was, um, he was, he was really trying to get Jesus to really identify in a really, uh, a really solid way who his neighbor was so that he could know, you know, this is the person that I have to show love and mercy to, and maybe not so much this person. So if you, if you think, uh, just to give you an idea, um, back in Jesus' time, the Jews 
typically interpreted neighbor to be someone who lived right next to them or else another Jewish person. And sometimes I think um, in church, we, we kind of think along those lines as well. Our neighbor is the people that are in our faith community and they're the people that live next door to us or across the street or down, uh, down a couple of doors. Men like this teacher of the law tended to reject anybody who didn't live up to their moral standards. So if you didn't live up to the moral standards of the Pharisee or the religious, uh, the religious leaders, then you couldn't be considered necessarily a neighbor in the respect that Jesus was referring to, and you weren't necessarily um, deserving of the love and the mercy that Christ was asking these people to show. And then there were certain sects that would go and live in remote locations. Some of them would live in deserts or in caves. And uh, if you think of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the community that that was found in, the Qumran community, those people lived in a community, and they were considered their neighbors. And anybody who wasn't a part of that community was shunned. So their neighbors were just those immediate people who lived in their small community. So anyone who wasn't a part of their little group wasn't a neighbor. So this man wanted Jesus to kind of draw a circle and give him you know, some really concrete ideas of who his neighbor should be. Who wanted Jesus to say who was in and who was out. Who should I show mercy and love to? And who do I not have to do it, show this to? And so Jesus went on to tell uh, this, this leader this story. And we continue on in verse 29 of Luke 10. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus... And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So this priest was part of the Jewish nation, and this man wasn't his immediate neighbor. He wasn't uh, part of the Jewish community, and didn't feel like he necessarily had to love him in that way and give him mercy. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Again, similar type situation. Then a despised Samaritan came along. So the Samaritans and the Jews were kind of enemies. The Samaritans were considered like half-breeds, low lives, and they didn't really associate, and there was some hostility between them. But when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil, and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandage? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now now go and do the same. And so this example of how it is that we're supposed to be neighbors to the people around us actually really took hold in the, in the early church. In the first 350 years of the, of the church, we see by far the greatest growth in the Christian community. One historian actually um, looked back and he traced back uh, as much as he could in historical records and estimates that over 50% of the world's population by the end of the third of uh, 300 BC um, were Christians, over 50%. And the reason for that is because these followers of Jesus really took hold of, uh, of, of this teaching. Now, they, how they did this was they gathered together in these communities, in these groups called oikos groups. Has anybody heard of oikos? Yogurt? 
So they'd sit around and eat yogurt, and that's how the church grew. Not exactly. Actually, the, the original, if you tra- look back at the original Greek, oikos was considered the, like the subunit of culture. So for, it was like the family unit, and they actually expanded their family unit a little bit to include maybe neighbors or people that they worked closely with or uh, the servants or slaves that were in their household were considered their oikos units. And so the church grew because these units lived together and they loved each other. And actually what happened is, um, in the first 350 years of the church, there was a lot of oppression of the church. There were the, the leaders and different cultural and uh, ethnic groups would persecute the church. And so, um, and so these people really banded together in these small huddles, community huddles, community groups that were closely associated with, you, with each other, and they lived life together. But it, and it wasn't until like four, 400 years after Christ died that we actually saw churches like this where people from far and wide would come together and they would gather together and, and they would use the church as a means of, of developing the kingdom and of teaching. Um, but it wasn't until after 400 years that church buildings actually started to show up. And so the greatest growth in the church took place in the first 300 years of, it ex- of its existence. And how it happened was things like this, these oikos groups. Um, back in the, Are you all familiar with the, the one-child policy in, in China right now? So um, it's, it's kind of waning out, but even up until just a couple of years ago, the Chinese, uh, Chinese wanted male babies. And if they didn't get a male baby, um, they would abort or they would give their child up for adoption, or they would leave their female child to die. And so um, this is as similar, actually, to what happened back 300, uh, 350, up until 350 years after Christ, is the Roman and Greeks, they wanted male babies. And if they didn't have a male baby, they didn't know beforehand, so they weren't aborting their babies, but they would take their female babies, and they'd put them in the public square, or they'd leave them out in a field, or they'd leave them somewhere to die. And so these oikos groups, what they would do is they would take those kids in, and they would expand their family group uh, with, with someone they didn't even know. And so the church started to grow by these, these oikos groups. And these children would be raised up to know Jesus and to know Christ and to become followers of Christ. And so the church grew in that way. There was also um, two major plagues back uh, in the first 350 years after Christ where over half of the world's population was wiped out by these two plagues. Um, and there was a lot of illness that occurred during those plagues. And what these oikos groups would do is they would take care of the people that were ill as a result of those plagues. A lot of times, families would just leave people to die, or they wouldn't care for them because they were worried that they might catch sick. But these oikos groups, they would come, and they would take those people, and they would nurture them back to health and show them the love and the mercy of Christ. And through that way, um, the church began to grow through these oikos groups. So the, the early church took really seriously this command to love their neighbors and to show them mercy. And they recognized that their neighbors weren't just the people that lived next door to them or across the street from them. They were anybody who they, who they, who, whose cross they passed, or whose paths they crossed, who were in need, who needed mercy or who needed to be shown love. And their neighbors became anyone who was in need. So now um, I want to do another kind of mind exercise with you. Don't answer these questions because it might get a little embarrassing about halfway through or it might get a little tricky, but I want you to answer these questions in your head. If you were swimming in a pool and there was a little girl or a little boy swimming in the pool with you and they started to drown, what would you do? So don't answer in your head. I did this with my kids and every answer they'd be like, this is what I do. And I'm like, no, answer in your head. Okay, so if, if you were uh, across the street from this pool, 100 meters away or so, and you heard that a little child was starting to drown, what would you do? If you were across the block and, uh, 
and you got a text from somebody at the pool who happened to be there saying there's a child drowning in this pool, what would you do? If you're on the other side of town and you got a similar text, what would you do? If you were traveling in BC and you got a text from somebody here that one of the kids in the church was drowning, what would you do? If you were somewhere around the world traveling and you got that text, what would you do? It's a, it's, a, it's a tricky question because a child drowning is a pretty, uh, is a pretty scary thing. And it's something that grabs us all right here. But eventually by the, the third or the fourth scenario where we can't right, run right into the situation and try to help out, probably most of us are thinking, you know what, I, there's nothing really that I'm able to do at this point. There's, it's, it's not really my problem anymore. And, and back in Jesus' day, this wouldn't even have been a consideration, right? They didn't have texts. They didn't probably didn't use smoke signals to say, hey, there's somebody in trouble here. And so their immediate neighbors or the people who they crossed paths with immediately were the people that they felt responsible for. But we live in a time in history that is so unique. The world has shrunken to such a a state that pretty much anyone around the world, any child with HIV, any child who's affected by, um, by cancer or affected by natural disaster or any, any uh, living in poverty, they, they essentially all are our neighbors. We, we have some form of knowing that they're in need. And so um, it makes it really difficult for us sometimes to figure out which neighbor am I supposed to help? Who am I supposed to, to, to lend a helping hand to as, and if I'm following Jesus' command to, uh, to show love and mercy to my neighbor? Do I help the child who's living in poverty in Africa? Do I help the child who's living in poverty in Haiti? It's a really tough call. And for each of us, the the command to go and do the same, to show love and mercy to our neighbors, for each of us, that might look completely different. We're going to be obeying and following Jesus' command completely differently. For some of us, following that command might mean that we're going to Guatemala and building picnic tables for families who don't have tables. For some of us, we're not able to go to Guatemala, but we're able to, to pitch in and, and help out financially so that those tables can be built. And we're showing love to our neighbors in that way. For some of us, it's, um, it's selling jewelry for, to help women and children in Africa who have been devastated by AIDS and by, and by war. For some of us, it's simply it's buying that jewelry and supporting that cause in that way. For some of us, um, you know, we, we can help out and be a good neighbor by... Um, giving a monthly support to, to organizations like um, like World Vision or, or uh, Save the Children. Some of us have been called to show mercy by volunteering at a local food bank or at a homeless shelter or at a prison or at a pregnancy, a, a, a pregnancy care center. But for some of us, if we're completely honest, I think um, we're probably left thinking or struggling with what exactly does it mean to show love and to show mercy to my neighbor? And so um, the rest of the passages that I want to look at are some really super practical, everyday things that I think that we can do to show love to the people that live immediately next to us and with us, and to the people that, that might live a little further away. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is towards the front of the Bible. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's the fifth book of the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 6. Um, and this passage actually deals with uh, some of the basic commandments and how, how God wanted his people to know and to follow these commandments. And so it's a, I think it's a really, a really practical one for us to, to, uh, to look at and to, to listen to. 
So it goes, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Sounds familiar to another passage we just read. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on the tops of your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. So when I was, uh, just before I talk about this, when I was a little kid, um, there was a man who really made a difference in my life. He, uh, He taught me a lot when I was growing up. And uh, there were, every week when I was growing up, he was there, and, and, I, and I grew with him. And I really wanted to be like him. I wanted to be a lot like him. And his name was MacGyver. You guys remember MacGyver? Who, who has seen the show MacGyver? All right. So what I want to relate this passage to is MacGyver. And the reason for that is because MacGyver was kind of a superhero back in the 80s, right? He didn't have any super strength. He couldn't fly. He couldn't, you know, deflect bullets. But he was... Um, amazing because he could get himself out of pretty much any situation using the simplest everyday things that he found around him. He could solve any dilemma with some duct tape, a piece of chewing gum, and a ball of yarn. If you watch MacGyver, you know that is absolutely true. What was amazing about MacGyver is that he would take the everyday, ordinary things of life and make something amazing out of them. For many of us, It was so amazing that MacGyver actually became kind of like a catchphrase in society. If you had a tough problem, what were you going to do? I'm going to MacGyver it. I'm going to get some duct tape, and I'm going to solve the problem. With a little duct tape or chewing gum, I could solve anything. So this is kind of how a typical episode of MacGyver would go. He'd be locked in a room, and uh, he'd be surrounded by thugs with machine guns, right? And he would look around the room, and he'd be like, oh, rope. Well, actually, he'd have this internal internal dialogue going in his head. and be like, right, think, MacGyver think. What can I do? And he'd find some rope and he'd like, all right, rope. I think I can use that. And he'd look up and he'd be like, oh, a fire alarm. I think I can use that. Plywood. I think I can use that. This just might work. And he'd put together this contraption that would lure in the thugs and by the, the thugs would be lured in, and then the contraption would go off, and it would incapacitate them, and he'd go free. And the amazing thing about MacGyver is he never had to use a gun. Never, he had never shot on the show. Uh, actually, I did see one episode where he used a gun as a wrench. He didn't use it as a weapon. He used it as a wrench. But he, he never used a gun. He never called in the big guns to help him out. He never had the police or the uh, cavalry come in or... The military, it was, it was like him on his own. And by the time he was out of the situation, they were like, wow, how did you do that? And so MacGyver took all these everyday things, and he, made, uh, he, he, he was able to, to take everyday things and, and make something amazing out of them. And what I think Jesus had in mind for us is that we all become like MacGyver, MacGyver-like missionaries. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, missionaries, I'm not called to be a missionary. But actually, every single one of us... <clears throat> is called to be a missionary. You don't have to be a paid minister. You don't have to have gone to Bible school or have to have read your whole way through the Bible. You don't have to be what some of us would call or consider a super Christian. All you have to do is be a follower of Jesus, and you are called to be a missionary. So God calls us all to be missionaries, and, and we, we can be missionaries and be effective missionaries when we use the everyday situations in life that we find ourselves in. 
when we bring God into the normal, everyday situations in life. And when we do that, when we bring God into those normal, everyday situations, he might just do something amazing in the lives of the people around us. And so I think there are a couple of really simple and practical things that we can take away from this, uh, this passage in Deuteronomy. So the passage says that God expected the Israelites to commit themselves to the commands that they had been given. But how were they supposed to do that? Well, he actually tells them exactly how they were supposed to do that. And I think we can do the same things. The first thing was to simply repeat those commands again and again to their children. So they didn't have the written word back then. There was a couple of scrolls that were around, but most people didn't know how to read. So it's not like they could read the scrolls together and then put them on a shelf and that was it. They repeated them again and again to their children. Can any of us do that? Can we read the Word and repeat some of the promises and truths of Scripture again and again to our children? It's kind of like what Brian was talking about this morning, where we talk, we speak truth, not just any truth, but truths from Scripture into the lives of our children, into the lives of the people we live with, into the lives of the people that we work and that we play with. And when we do that, God can use those situations and make everyday situations into something amazing. Um, so so then, then the passage goes on to talk about that we should talk about them at home, that we should talk about these commands when we're on the road, that we should talk about these commands when we're going to bed and when we're getting up. So who here lives in a home with a table and chairs, with neighbors and family members around you? Who here, um, who walked here this morning? So we all drive, right? So when we're on the road, we can be talking about these commands and we can, talk, we can t- be talking about truths of Scripture. And who here doesn't go to bed at night and wake up in the morning? Some people who work shift work, I understand. But we all go to bed and we all wake up. And we can be doing things around that. So, so here's where we become MacGyver-like missionaries in our families and in our homes. Think, MacGyver, think. What can I do? Talk about them in our home. Hey, I have a table and chairs. I might be able to do something with that. Talk about them on the road. Hey, I have a car. I have a minivan. I drive places with my family and with my friends. I might just be able to do something with that. Going to bed and getting up, we have beds. We uh, oftentimes tuck our kids into bed or have a chat with our children or our parents before bed. Hey, you know what? Those bunk beds in my home, I might be able to do something with that. And, and so when we put all these things together, we get everyday situations that God can use and take and make into amazing situations. So when we start by being neighbors to those directly around us, we can impact our family, and our neighbors by simply using the table and chairs in our home. When we get together, we invite people over for coffee, and we talk about the normal everyday situations in life, and we say, you know what? I've been in a situation like that, and you know what? I I prayed about it, and it's amazing that God changed that situation and made something positive out of it. Can I pray with you? Or we sit down at the table with our families, and rather than just rushing through uh, dinner and using the table and chairs as kind of a commodity that uh, are just there to, uh, to eat at or to pile papers on, we use the table and chairs as an opportunity to read through Scripture together. Something that we've done that uh, we did we've done on and off as a family is uh, we would buy kind of a, a children's a children's Bible, and we'd keep it at the dinner table, and uh, before or after every meal we just read a short story and we say you know. What did God teach you through that? What did you hear in that story? How does, it, how, does, uh, how does that apply to your life? Or for some of us, it could be as simple as, you know, um, Tom brings the, uh, the daily bread. 
And at times we've used our daily bread as an opportunity to, uh, to spend time in Scripture and to apply simple truths of Scripture to our everyday lives. And it's a quick and easy way. It takes, you know, five minutes to do that and to bring Christ into an everyday situation in our lives. And so we can use our table and chairs. We can um, talk about our, the commands of Christ while we're at home. We can talk about them when we're on the road. You know, when you're in your car, you kind of have a captive audience, right? How, how many of you um, have heard of the, the idea of a catechism? In the Catholic Church, it's kind of a method that's used to teach some basic uh, fundamental things about, about spirituality. And so basically, all it is, it's question and answer. And so we can use something like that as well. It's some, the really simple stuff. You know, we can ask our kids or our family members, who made you? Simple answer, God. What else did God make? God made all things. Um, what, why did God make you? He made you for his own glory. Are there more gods than one? There's only one true God. And so by doing simple things like that, we're constantly instilling truths into the lives of our, of our family members. But you know what? We can, we can do it with more than just our family. When we're, when we're driving with people or when we're walking with people, if you don't drive everywhere, you, you know, you do. You have a captive audience. It's one of the best opportunities to have deep, meaningful relationships with people. And, you know, those deep, meaningful relationships may not always start off as, uh, an, as, as an, a time to evangelize. But eventually, as we get to know the people that we're driving with, as we get to know our neighbors, as we travel with them, uh, we get to know what their everyday needs are and when they're struggling. And it's another opportunity where we can just say, you know what? I've been through something similar. And if I didn't have God in my life and if I didn't have my faith community to journey with, I don't know where I would be. Hey, can I, can I pray for you in that situation? And, uh, you know, a really simple, easy, practical way to be Christ to your neighbors and the people around you. We can start by taking time out of our days every now and then um, when we're going to bed and when we're getting up to use that as an opportunity to say to our kids or to say to our wives or to say to our, um, to, you know, a significant other, hey, where did you see Jesus around you today? Where would you have liked to have seen Jesus work around you today? Maybe we can pray about those things. Or maybe before we go to bed, we can pray a blessing over our kids or over our, our spouse. Or when we get up in the morning, before we crawl out of bed, we say, you know, God, just use me today. Help me to see you in the everyday situations today. Change me. Allow me to be a loving and merciful neighbor to the people around me. And so we start out in Deuteronomy with some really simple, practical, everyday things that we can do to be MacGyver-like missionaries to the people around us. Now, obviously, there are more everyday situations in our lives. Um, my day will look completely different from Mark's day, and Mark's day will look completely different from uh, any of your days. But the idea here is that we intentionally focus on how we bring Jesus into the simple, everyday routines of our lives, and it can be really basic things. Now, um, I want to I switch over and, and flip to a passage in Matthew. So that's the first book of the New Testament. It's probably about two-thirds of the way uh, through your Bible. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. And uh, this is a passage where Jesus is calling Matthew to be one of his disciples, one of his close followers. And Matthew was actually a tax collector. It's just after tax time. How many of you had a tax bill and are in love with the Canada Revenue Agency? Not me. But Jesus, you know what? He was like, you know, you know what? I can, I can even use a tax collector to be a follower and to be, uh, to be someone who shares the gospel with, with people around me. And so this is how the passage goes. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. 
So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Matthew here in this passage was actually doing something that we at Kingsway are really good at. We like to get together. So he called together some of Jesus' disciples, other disciples, and called Jesus together. He was having a bit of a party with them. He was hanging out, getting to know them. We're good at that. We spend time before the service, and we hang out, and we get to catch up with, with each other at the beginning of the service, and there's time after the service to hang out in the cafe and do some more chatting. We spend time um, before worship, and, and we, uh, we get to hear about people's praise reports and some of the needs of people that we can pray for during the week. We, uh, we spend time at um, midweek, getting, uh, there's opportunities for Bible study and to hang out and to learn scripture and, and get, you know, connect with people midweek. And then there's other opportunities like connection dinners that happen. And uh, July 1st and July 14th and Super Bowl parties. And there's all kinds of opportunities to connect and to be able to hang out together and encourage each other. And this is absolutely essential to the life of the church. We are neighbors to each other and we need to be able to, to support each other in, in ways like that. And that is great. But sometimes we also need to uh, take that a step further. And, Jesus, or, and Matthew did this in this passage. He took it a step further. He, he wasn't just hanging out with his, uh, with his peeps. He was hanging out with his Christian peeps, but then he brought in some of his tax collector peeps and some of the, the undesirables that he knew and that he hung out with, and he brought them together. And what do you think happened in that situation? We don't actually know, right? If you read that passage, it doesn't go on to say that Jesus gave these people the good word of the gospel, and this is what happened, and they, all, they, were, all, uh, they were all saved. But what we do know is that Jesus took time to hang out with his people. What we do know is that Matthew was an amazing missionary in that respect. He didn't have to probably say a word to these people, but what he did was connect people in that way. And we can do the same types of things, you know? We don't, not all of us are going to be great evangelists and are, are going to, you know, have all the words that just flow really easily and nicely and, and be able to necessarily um, give the gospel message to everyone who comes through the door. But what we can do so we can connect with our neighbors by um, bringing them in and having the support of other believers around us so we can support each other and just dialogue and have conversation, get to know our neighbors in that way. And when we support each other in that way, conversations will naturally happen. And it'll happen when we actually invite God to be a part of those things. So before we get together with friends, um, you know, just say, you know, God, we're, we're getting together with friends. Would you, would you be there with us? Would you um, help us to converse with these people and show them your love? And it can be as simple as that. Um, some, of us, some of us get really creeped out by the idea of, of evangelism because we've had experiences with street preachers on a corner who can be really hostile, and they can actually put people off of the gospel. But, uh, or people coming across as contem- condemning rather than loving people into Christ's family. But we, what, what, what uh, Matthew did here was be intentional, and we need to be intentional with those we come into contact with every day at work those that we come into contact with every day at school or at the grocery store or at uh, soccer games or hockey games or or, uh, baseball games if you're taking your kids out to those things. And so how do we do that? What Matthew shows us here is that 
It doesn't have to be that hard at all. It doesn't have to be intimidating. It doesn't have to be something that we get all nerve-wracked over. And uh, it doesn't have to be what most people would consider to be particularly religious or spiritual. But in actuality, I'll get, let you in on a little secret, it's completely spiritual. Because everything that we do is completely spiritual. When we, um, because God is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us day in and day out. And actually, it can be a lot of fun. Um, so one of the first things that we can do is talk. Who here can't talk? We can all talk, right? <laughs> nice try, Mark. So it's as simple as this. You know what? I'm, uh, I'm at a soccer, I'm at a soccer uh, game, one of my kids' soccer games on a Tuesday night. And there's somebody sitting next to me, and they're not talking with anybody. So I just say, you know what? Hi. How's it going? My name's Mark. My kid's on the soccer field. Which, who, who's your kid? Um, you know what? <clears throat> do, do you have any big plans for the summer? Are you doing anything on the July long weekend? No? You know what? My, um, my church is having a really informal event on July 1st, and we're just getting together and hanging out and having a pool party. If you're not doing anything, maybe you could come. Um, no pressure, but you know what? I think it'd be fun. Or... Uh, or, hey, you know what? I know that, uh, that Tuesday night before soccer is hectic. I get, I know, when I get home from work, I, like, I walk in the door, I snarf down some supper, I scream at my kids to get ready for soccer, and we're out the door, and it's really stressful. Um, it's probably the same for you. Why don't, why don't we get together and we can have a barbecue before soccer, and you can come over, and then at least you don't have to go through that horrible situation with your kids. And then we can all go to the soccer game together. That'd be fun. And, uh, you know, you get to know your neighbors in that way. Or maybe it's as simple as, hey, you know what? We're going out for ice cream after soccer. Why don't you come with me? And so taking the everyday, normal situations of life and inviting people into our lives. And as we do that, and as we get to know those people, then situations, again, they'll come up where we can speak truth and hope and love into their lives. Sometimes, um, actually, we could do something what, like what Matthew did. We could plan a dinner party so we could get together with a couple other people from the church. And when we get together with those people, we plan a barbecue and we say, okay, you each invite one other friend to come that doesn't go to church. And you know, it'll be a really low stress, no pressure situation because we're all just inviting a friend to come over and hang out for supper. And we take the time to pray about that situation before we have a meal and we hang out and we get to know each other. And you know what? Even if, um, even if we're hanging out with a neighbor and maybe we find out that through talking with them, you know, we don't really connect. We're not really at the same place in life. Um, you know what? I might not be in the same place, but John Stagenga, he, he might be in the same place as life with them. Maybe next week I'm going to invite that person over for, to watch a game and I'm going to invite John Stagenga over. And they're going to have an opportunity to chat and get to know each other. And so we can connect people together. Being a missionary can be as simple as connecting people who you know have like interests and who, who you know can, can uh, share life together. And so again, some really MacGyver-like, simple things that we can do to be missionaries and followers of Jesus. Now, there, there's, there's other simple things that we can do, and each of your situations is going to be a little different. But um, a situ- just to give you some, a, another practical uh, suggestion, I know um, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily an evangelist. I'm not one of those people that get out and preach on a soapbox. Or, um, but, but what I can do is I can connect with people, and then I can connect people together. But another thing we can do is, how many of you know someone who's maybe a, a single mom or a single dad or a widow or a widower or a student who lives away from home or someone who has to travel for work 
or an immigrant to the area who's, you know, kind of isolated, something really simple we can do that is completely, absolutely meaningful is throw a birthday party for those people. Something really simple, right? But it shows them love and it shows them mercy and it shows them Christ's love in a, in a, in a very simple, practical, everyday way. And I actually heard a story about this, um, this, this pastor who frequented a Chinese food restaurant, and the guy who ran the restaurant came to Canada. He had no family here. He had no real network of people here. But this pastor went to, um, went to this restaurant. He frequented it. He got to know the, the owner by name. And when it came around to his birthday, he realized, you know what, this guy's probably going to spend his birthday on his own. So he got some other patrons of the restaurant to come together and some of his other friends uh, from, from church, and they, they threw a birthday party for the guy. And he was so overwhelmed by that simple act of love and generosity, he broke down in tears. He had no one else to show him love in that way. And by the end of the night, that restaurant owner um, came to know Jesus through that one simple act. And so that's something really simple and basic and every day that we can do. So I would encourage you this week to start by, by looking at the people immediately around you your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your sisters or brothers, the people who live on either side of you or across the street, and look for ways that you can be intentional in your home. Can you invite them over for coffee? Do they need something? Does does their grass look like, uh, you know, maybe they're sick. They've been sick for a week and their grass needs cut. Maybe you can offer to go and help cut their grass. But simple, everyday things that we can do for the people around us and be MacGyver-like missionaries to those people. And then expand that to the people we work with and the people we play with and the people we cross paths with every day. And think of simple, practical, everyday things that we can do for those people. Now, uh, so a couple of things I want you to do when you leave here today. I want you to think of one person who lives immediately around you. So get that person's name in your mind right now. I want you to think of one thing that you can do to be intentional with that person this coming week. Something really simple. It doesn't have to be anything amazing or miraculous. Having coffee with them and getting to know them at a deeper level. Now, I want you to think of somebody else that you have interaction with on a regular basis. Maybe it's someone you work with, another student at school, a parent of, uh, of, one, of your kids, uh, one of your kids' friends, um, maybe another parent, anyone, someone you bump into at soccer practice. It could be someone who, you know, you do work for on a regular basis. But think about that person and think of one simple, everyday thing that you could do with that person. Again, it doesn't have to be anything huge. It could be as simple as saying, say, hey, you know what? Do you want to go out for coffee this week? I'd really like to do that. And then as we do that, praying about those situations and trusting that Christ can do amazing, miraculous things in those situations. And I look forward, actually, to coming next week and hearing how each of you have, have, uh, have interacted with those people and how he's begun to change their lives. So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, um, that you empower us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you that um, you've called us all to be missionaries, but we don't all have to go far and wide to do that, that we can be missionaries to the people immediately around us. And that being a missionary doesn't have to mean that we have to give up everything in life and that we have to drink secondhand tea and um, dress in all secondhand clothes, but that we can simply do simple, ordinary, everyday things to, uh, to show love and mercy to the people that live around us and we interact with every day. And I, I pray that you would empower us to do that this week, that you would keep those people that we've thought about in our minds and that we would be constantly thinking how to be intentional with those people. And that as we do that, your kingdom 
would continue to expand and continue to grow, and you would continue to make us and the people around us more like you, because we ask it in your name. Amen.